You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the ProSound Web Podcast Network. Signal to Noise is supported by RCF, manufacturer of professional line array, subwoofer, and loudspeaker systems, as well as portable sound solutions and audio tools for your production studio. For over 70 years, RCF's passion for perfection drives the design of every product. Visit RCF at rcf-usa.com. Alan and Heath has asked us to read this. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? It would seem that it all depends on the famed philosopher John Locke's conception of primary and secondary qualities of the tree. Of course, this metamorphosis indicates the qualities the objects possess initially, axiomically, and which are attributed to them by the listener. The falling tree in the forest does not really sound like anything, kind of like the heavy metal Skeltzimmer band I was in in high school. I wish I Welcome to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. I am speaking closer to my microphone this week because I decided I need a little more bass in my voice after taking advice from Wayne Pauley at the <laughs> in Nashville. <laughs> Episode 201. Uh, again, we're talking to you from the future, but also from the past by the time you listen back to this. So there's a, a time warp happening. Uh, this week, I'm joined by Chris Leonard and Sam Boone. Hello, What's gentlemen. Up? How's it going? Sam's doing the dude nod. <laughs> Sam's a very good dude nod. <laughs> I stand by my dude nod, okay? I have like I have the best non-dude dude nod as far as I'm concerned. I've never I mean that's a small it's a small pool. It is. Not, not a lot of dude nodders out there who aren't dudes, but you know, I guess I we're equal opportunity here. Anybody can dude nod. You just happen to be happen to be pretty good at it. So uh Chris Cool singlet arms reach. What do you got? Oh man, I'm not prepared for that today. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I it guess could be, you could be. It could be you. You could if you could feel cool and if I, with arms reach yourself. Maybe you I give, yourself. give myself a hug for being the cool singlet <laughs> yeah. arms reach. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I I have stickers. So I have like Rody Clinic stickers, LMK oh. stickers. I've oh, been sick. I've been getting nice. a lot of stickers lately. So uh, yeah, I, don't know, I guess it's the coolest thing. Samuel, what do you have? Uh, I have wireless like like that kind of came in i I have a bunch of nerd stuff like i don't have anything like i just have like work gear i have uh rendezvous with rama by arthur c clark my favorite book of all time i was given a really nice hardcover copy with really cool illustrations in it for my birthday so i'm rereading that it's excellent our guest this week is my good friend which is i'll say mate actually my mate finley watt he stayed up late He's joining us from the far off lands of where are you? Where are you right now? Are you in, are you home in Scotland? Um, I'm in Glasgow. He's in Glasgow. Thank you for joining us. Thank really good to have you here, dude. It's been like four years. We've been trying to get you on the show. Uh, I finally, finally did it. Him yeah, <laughs> we finally did it. Uh, he's a he's a man of many talents. He is a freelance system technician. He mixes monitors. He is all kind. He refinishes wood floors. Something I just learned recently. Uh, <laughs> his credits include Stereophonics, Chemical Brothers, Muse, Take That, Jefflin's ELO, Liam Gallagher, um, and uh, he's an all around nice dude too. Finally, welcome to the show, man. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, what time is it for you? 
It is uh, 11.42. Oh, okay. It's not, we haven't hit midnight it's yet. not too bad. No, yeah, it's not too bad. Um, you you are on the road so often, dude. I, I uh, always see what you're up to, and you uh, always posting you know, hijinks and shenanigans. Uh, what has it been like for you to adapt to being on the road and away from home so much of your life? Um, I think it kind of came naturally. I don't really like being at home. <laughs> I don't really like looking at the same stuff every day. Really it's boring. not just me, Michael. It's not just me. <laughs> that's really, that's so funny. <laughs> I, uh, it's, you know, man, it's always cool to catch up with you, even though we're on, you know, we're on different time zones all the time. I think yeah, Finley and I probably talk about systems almost every day. We, we, we talk extensively and, uh, to me, that's Pretty one much. of the, yeah, that's one of the things that is always driving me to kind of improve and clarify. And, and, uh, you know, if you're not talking to your peers about what you're doing, you're missing out, you're missing out on, mm-hmm. on stuff. So it's really important. We, Hey, we did a, we did an AES panel over, over COVID together with Bob McCarthy. We that did. was pretty cool. Yeah. That, was <laughs> that seems that was like really a lifetime fun. ago now. I know. Right. I, I, yeah. it, it had slipped my mind. Um, but uh, I remember, you know, they were like, all right, so Bob says, who, you know, we got to get a couple of people together. I was like, you want a Scottish guy? And they're like, yeah, that sounds fun. So they was like, Billy, come do this. <laughs> we, had, we had a great time. It was really you're cool. talking Scottish guy. You've got to have one everywhere. <laughs> how did you, um, how did you get into this? How did you, what was your path into audio? Uh, so I was never going to do this. Like pretty much everyone. Um, I wanted to go to school and like go to uni and do architecture and then i went to careers night and they said um i was like oh, how long is the course and they said seven years and i was like no nah, it's, <laughs> it's just not happening um and then i, I went with my mate to like a, a night at the university that does the audio course and i i wasn't even intending to do it i just went for a laugh and um i thought this is pretty cool so I left school a year early, did that, um, started mixing my friend's band, and through doing that, I met the owner of a sound company in Scotland. Uh-oh. So Uh-oh. I, would, Do we I think he froze. I think he froze. I'm back. Did I freeze? <laughs> Transcontinent. Oh, he's we back. Go. We got him. Did you lose there him? You're back. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so... Mixed my friend's band, Loss, uh, met the owner for Sound Company, started freelancing for them here, and did that for three years or so, and then moved to London. I started working for some of the big companies down there, so when I moved down, I worked for SSC, which is now Solotech, and then worked with Capital, who are now also Solotech, um, for a few years, and then, and then I did most of my freelancing after that for a company called Scan, um, various others in between. Uh, yeah. You've chosen to remain it. freelance for pretty much your entire career uh, versus a lot of people kind of like the stability that comes with, you know, settling down with a company or anything like that. What went into that decision for you? Um, I've, I've only been offered a few like actual job jobs. Um, like real jobs and um, it just never seemed to like work out I'm not totally opposed to the idea but um, I also like being able to just say you know screw it I'm going 
away for a month or something. <laughs> you know? um, He's his own boss. Yeah. I I think, you know, for me, the, the, the trade-off against the stability is the freedom to like do whatever you want and, yeah. just, you know, make your own calendar and have a, have a crazy mm. month and then have an easier month if you want. And, uh, you know, I can Absolutely. see, you know, later in life, I may want to, I may want to change that, but, um, you know, where I am now in my mid thirties, it's, I really enjoy the, uh, variety of getting to kind of choose your own destiny as you will, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like quiet time of the year. I don't want to be like doing you know, like paperwork or something. I don't want to be <laughs> yeah. sitting on a beach somewhere. As someone you... who started for a company and did a lot of painting cases in the winter. Uh, mm. This was, I think the first winter I've had like not in a shop. Oh, it was so yeah. great. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't have to do that. Like, you mean I can go to no somewhere repair work? It's fantastic. It's cold here. Yeah. It's a lot better. I think that's, uh, you know, and that's sort of an ongoing thing. It, com- it comes up a lot in our community. Like, should I freelance? Should I work for a company? Um, I think, you know, it's it's a it's a complex decision. But, uh, you know, I I think that uh, it's also, I mean, it's also kind of different depending on where you live because uh i mean you you're freelance but you predominantly work for one one vendor still right yeah pretty much um it really just depends what happens like throughout the year but for the last few years it's been pretty much one vendor how do you um sort of segment in your brain like mixing monitors versus doing system design work because they're like they they use very different parts of your your awareness you know I only really mix monitors when it's support. So like on the Liam gig, I'm the monitor tech. Mm-hmm. So I look after Barry, the monitor engineer. Um, but yeah, it's very different. Like when we're in the UK and Europe, I'm just doing monitor tech unless something goes horrendously wrong elsewhere. <laughs> um, and uh, my friend Tim looks after front of house. Um but when we're outside of Europe, um, I'm the only tech, so I might be, well, I'm monitor tech, but I might have to go and fix a PA or whatever. So um, I do end up doing both, even on that gig. Um, but yeah, I, I don't find it that hard to separate it. I mean, that's when I started freelancing on, on tours, I was always monitor tech, and then I was flying PA. Flying PA and monitor tech, that kind of thing, um, and then, then I was doing system. So it's kind of like just doing something that I've already know how to do. It's fine. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> nice mean, to I... change, like change what you're doing every now and then as well, and yeah, re- refresh your mind a little bit. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people will probably start in that like monitor tech, fly tech position. I know I did as well, mm. and majority of my friends at least people I know we all kind of start there. And I think it's a great kind of entrance in to know, okay, here's everything, you know, on stage, like into the system, right. In terms of audio, you have to learn control, but do you feel like you've tried to specialize over the years or do you just kind of take things as they come? Um, I've definitely tried to specialize. Um, probably around 20, when it would have been 2017. I started, um, pushing for more system gigs and getting more system gigs um, and then sort of changed which vendor I was mostly working for so I kind of did a bit of that again and um, 
yeah, sort of that became the main sort of thing I do. Um, um, but yeah, it's sort of <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I have specialized, but like it's um, I don't find it that hard to jump between doing the two things. The hardest bit for me, like to pick up, was something that I hadn't done before for one or two, which was doing RF. Um, that was a bit new to me, um, but I've, I've been doing that for a year and a bit now, so that's all good. So, how Change. are you learning? Where, what are you looking at to to learn? You know, who are you talking to? Do you have mentors or resources, or how are you moving forward? Uh, yeah, I've got um, a few really good mentors and friends. Um, so, if it's anything system related, um, like the guy that taught me pretty much everything was uh, a guy called Toby who who works for or he's freelance but he does a lot of work for Solotech. Um I did my first proper tour with him. Um there's loads of other guys um in the UK and Europe that I learned a lot of stuff from. Um and then speaking to yourself, Michael. Um and then when it came to learning RF, uh, there's a lot of training courses that we end up going to with providers. Um, so I did a, I've done an RF one, a scan, a couple of DMB ones. Um, and then, yeah, just speaking to RF techs that I know of from other tours, learning little things from them. And then, um, yeah, putting it into practice on some online training as well. Um, but I really learn by doing. So yeah. there's only so much like looking at something on a screen being presented I can do I just have to actually go out with the scanner and do it Mm -hmm. so speaking of your systems work how much of the time do you spend with one brand of system because I know like (laughs) I you came out and I I had the pleasure of hanging out with you for a couple days when we were in Scotland um and you came and hung out with Denny and I for which I'm tremendously jealous by the way that so much fun (laughs) Uh, that was actually quite a lot of fun um and you were very kind and let me kind of pick your brain. And it was really cool to get to walk an arena with you. And mm. with, I don't think you'd heard Panther at the time before. No, I hadn't. That was um, the first time. Yeah. That was an interesting venue to hear that in. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting venue to hear anything. In. It's, it's an interesting venue all around. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds very diplomatic. <laughs> That's yeah. the nicest way for saying Finley got to hear Panther on the worst sounding venue of the tour, probably. Uh, but he was very kind about it. <laughs> and, it was great. Uh, but it was really cool because I, at this point, had spent so much time like with Panther. I think that was like month five out of six straight with the box. Mm. And that being like the primary Meyer product I'd worked with. Actually, I didn't do a lot of work with any of its predecessors. So it was really cool to kind of get to walk a venue that you knew very well um, mm, with you and get your take on it. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't envy you for that, but nonetheless, um, mm. that, that was a really cool experience. Um, what's it like for you to kind of, do so much work, maybe not with one product and then hear a different product. Like, you know, what's it like for you hearing something new? Um, it, it's obviously different. I mean, all, pretty much all I've used, apart from when I've been going through festivals or through venues where, like, say, at the end of last year, we were in South America. So when we were in Buenos Aires, they had K1 in an arena for us, but still it was different to what we're used to. 
Um, yeah, most of what I've been using is um, DMB, GSL, KSL, V. Um, yeah, I've not heard much Panther. Oh, that was the only time I've heard Panther. But we've seen what we've seen this last year. We've seen Adamson. We've seen Leo. We've seen K1, K2. Um, and we've seen like Longbow. <laughs> Sick. And- <laughs> I remember you sent me that picture. I was like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) I think one of the things that you and I have talked about a ton that I think I will say pretty much all manufacturers are guilty of to some extent is that they have no idea what the rest of the industry is doing. They seem to get very, very focused in their own little ecosystem. And there's only so much you can keep up with. Like, I I understand that. But um, everybody's got their own blind spots and other manufacturers don't have those same blind spots. They've got different ones. And they've got solutions that other, you know, manufacturers are still struggling with and, and so on and so forth. So I think, I think all these manufacturers would do well to be a little more exposed to other tool sets and, you know, other ways of solving the same thing, because the thing is that they are so far removed in a lot of cases from end users. Like you and I go to festivals and whatever we walk into is whatever we walk into. And so I have to touch everything, you know, I think, probably even yeah. to a greater extent than you do. So I think I think that you get a really clear idea really quick when you're using everybody's rig of like what's working and what's not working and what these people are doing well and what they're not doing well. And I think that, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I think that everybody's product uh, would come up a couple of tiers uh, in terms of usability if they were paying a little more attention to, I think, just how the, how the rest of the industry is handling some of these things, you know? And if they were just being a little bit more honest. But yeah, well, things. there's that too. <laughs> <That's Yeah. laughs> so on your on your resume, you have an interesting line that says uh, specialized knowledge of an experience with very large scale systems, having deployed systems for audiences of up to 1.5 million capacity. Yeah. Um, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> what show had 1.5 million people? I've, I, and for the record, I, I had done a show with at least close to or if not a million people. So I've done at least one something similar. But I, maybe I don't know what, what you did. Had a, what, what was million. your one? Because it might have been the same thing. I don't, well, it was, not. it was in the States. It was the Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl parade. Oh, it was the Eagles uh, thing. Okay. Yeah. No, this... <laughs> This was the Pope, which is like oh okay. A lot of people have done massive Pope shows. As okay, well. that's okay. It, 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 it's, <laughs> He's it's done that, that too. Well, it's on, it's on that. Le- I have done the Pope gig, uh, but not. Uh, I wasn't on his primary. Like when he came to Philly, uh, I was on like one of the secondary stops within the city, not like the main stage. Right, okay. Uh, and the funny thing is, at the time, the when the Pope came to Philly, that whatever year that was, um, it was like the largest gathering in Philadelphia history. And then the Super mm. Bowl parade happened, and it and just surpassed the. Pope, so <laughs> I guess yeah, football, the other religion. <laughs> we did that in uh, in Poland in I think it was 2016, it was World Youth Day. Oh, okay, um, and they had so they had like multiple sites around Krakow, mm-hmm. um, and there was one site with DMB, and there was I think 800,000 people, which sounds nice. like a lot. And then we were in a field in the middle of nowhere, uh, with one and a half million. Um, and it was in the round. What? Um, yeah, six square kilometers. Um, and there was 60, 67 delay towers. That's amazing. What? Um, 
it was the only, and there was no RF allowed at all. Um, so we couldn't use RF. Oh, so just fiber, everything. fiber for freaking days. Fiber, everything on on uh, Opticore, um, and everything was on a everything was on a radius from the stage, so you could put in a delay already. But the problem was that sometimes when you went to put a tower up, you're on that radius, but you know there might be a house there or a river <laughs> or something. <laughs> the delay towers would like the delay towers would move back and forth a little bit or side to side, whatever. Um, so we still, it wasn't as simple as just saying it's that far away. It needs this yeah. much delay. It's all in a circle because it wasn't quite. And um, yeah, we couldn't use an, an RF mic. So there was a lot of riding around on uh, mopeds, just listening to, <laughs> just listening to the whole thing. That's awesome. took a long time. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! It's, it's the yeah. only gig I've ever done where I needed a map to find a delay tower. <laughs> um, <laughs> And it's the only gig I've ever had to drive to a different like village to find a delay tower. <laughs> and the only gig where I've got lost looking for a delay tower. That's freaking amazing. Yeah. Were you uh were you involved in any of the planning of that or just the deployment? No, so there was uh it was a company, a Polish company that did all the planning and the design and everything. And they had it was all outline speakers oh but so they really wanted to use the outline and then they had a couple of shipping containers with hundreds of vert like old vertec as a backup um <laughs> but they they were desperate to do it all outline i guess for publicity reasons and whatever um so they had to pull it from all the european countries so i was there from capital and then there was people from one of the Irish companies. There was people from Britroll. Pretty much everyone that had outline in Europe yeah. all just descended on Poland for two weeks. <laughs> That's awesome. Was it GTO? Yeah, so they, they had a load of GTO, and we sent over GTO C12 and uh, some Mantis and other bits. Oh, it's been a long time since I've flown Mantis. Oh, yeah. that's what I started on. Really? That was, that was the very first PA I ever flew. Oh wow. outline. Mm-hmm. Where yeah, in the, where in the states was their outline? SES owns it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Is that not on? Um, is well, that not on L- Luke Bryan. Not Luke Bryan. Um, Luke Combs. Luke, uh, Luke Combs. Combs yeah. GTO mm-hmm. right they have now. it out right now. Yep, yeah, they just did their stadiums with uh, outlines. So it's the same GTO rig. I'm very familiar with it. Wow. Yep. Uh, yeah. Interesting. All right, so Finley, I haven't. Uh, I've been trying to figure out how to ask this. Um, all right, so you know, you being you know in the UK um, and you know on the other side of the pond, um, I, I we as uh, I'm going to say it, stupid Americans, uh, we often <laughs> when we we talk about like the audio industry or touring industry, we pose questions and stuff like that. Uh, we're often very narrow minded in terms of like context of things that really only affect us, maybe in the states and things like that. Um, what is it like to be in an audio community? Uh, not like ours, just like you know, audio communities, like whether it's Facebook or any social media platforms or publications and stuff. And so much of what we talk about, we think about the industry. I think some people have tunnel vision of looking at it from like the states. What is it like looking at it from the outside perspective of what our industry means to maybe say you guys, you all over like in the UK versus kind of in the states? And is that maybe running joke at all over there in terms of like the differences and stuff? Like, what's uh, what is what is that like? Kind of being 
you know, seeing it from the other side? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I don't know. It's obviously a, a, a bit smaller in the UK, but then we have access to Europe. Right. So you do, you know, you do a bit of a mix of working in a smaller industry and working in a like equal size or bigger industry. Um, there's, oh, I, don't, I don't know. There's um, a lot of things that get done differently. Um, sometimes maybe it's more historical thing, but a lot of the times you'd see the way American gigs were getting done and it just didn't, it never looked quite as polished, but I see that's changing a lot now. And like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Like, what, like what, what, what would be different? I don't know. It's, it's really, really hard to explain. Um, I know what you're talking about. Sam knows what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I, I just did a whole, I just did a whole tour and our, our whole PA crew was German and yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, don't um, get me wrong. Like I absolutely love touring in the US. It's one of my favorite places to tour. Really? And I think, um, yeah, yeah, I think it's brilliant. And I love um, the one of the things that gets ripped on here is the the local crew thing. Um, but I, I think it's amazing because everyone treats it like a career. What do you, uh, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you mean gets ripped, gets ripped on? You mean like you guys unions, talking like about the one, states, right? like talk, talking about unions in the states, or what, what do you mean by that? Like. Um, like when you do your first U.S. tour as a as a European, mm-hmm. um, people will say, "Oh, you know, you're going to go to X venue, and people are only going to do this, and they won't let you touch this, and all this." And it was not the experience I had at all. I I found it to be brilliant, and you know, over here a lot of the time, especially at the minute, it's really hard to get crew, and then sometimes when you do, it's just like a nightmare. <laughs> and uh, when I went over there. I've been over a couple of times and um, I walked into the first venue in, where were we? We were in Oakland, um, whatever that arena is called. And, um, oh, oh, you said Oakland. Oakland, yeah. Okay. I, you said, I don't think you said Auckland, like New Zealand, but you mean Oakland, <laughs> no, California. No, no. <laughs> that was also great, though. No, uh, <laughs> uh, no, we were in Oakland um, and I got off the bu- uh, bus or van or wherever, however we'd come in. And, um, Walked in the the loading doors and there was trucks lined up, and there was like a perfect line of local crew at the bottom of the ramp. Everyone was just waiting to get a case, and then they were all just disappearing off into the venue. That's not what I like. It does happen here, but you you might have to go find them there outside smoking <laughs> or something. Uh, okay, like, so you're saying like the like the just regardless of whether it's union or not, the stagehand trade in the states is more of a established um, path yeah. and and dedicated thing yeah. as opposed to stagehands maybe in Europe or UK that is more of it's just who you can pick up at Seven Eleven, you know, to come. Yeah, to don't get me wrong. Like there, there are people here who like treat, who do treat it as a career, and there's there's sure. lots of really good locals who've been at it years and years and they're they're amazing um but over there it's it is uh, the way i see it is people do treat it more as a genuine mm. career path where mm. they can make a really good living so they take not everyone but they do t- seem to take it on the whole more seriously that is that's what i saw but i know everyone's had wildly different sure. experiences a lot of the time really depends i mean it's really a grab bag you know there's venues that are fantastic and there's venues that are not fantastic. <laughs> and it's it just really seems to be the you know obviously you know 
the, the way the industry's come back, that's been a huge shakeup because a lot of people left to go to do other things. So, you know, that's yeah. really impacted the, the local thing. Um, one thing I mean, that the one I'd been, oh, um, the one I'd been warned about was MSG. Mm-hmm. Everyone said that was like a nightmare. And we did two nights in there, uh, 2018. And, um, I, I sort of said to the guys, I was like, right, I don't want to upset anyone. I'm like, I'm not here to step on anyone's toes. If I'm doing something you don't want me to do, you tell me like, it's all, um, it's all cool. I'll have a nice day. Just keep me right. And, uh, and like never did anything to upset them. Mm-hmm. But the, one of them was, um, first generation American Irish parents. And the other was first generation American Scottish parents. So they absolutely loved me. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's why my day was so like nice and easy. It's a, Man, it's, a, that's it's, not a, it's, fair. it's a common ground thing. Yeah. Yeah. I like go over to Europe and I was like, oh, you're an American. Go away. I was like, I know. <laughs> no, it was really, really nice. But like, I feel like that's a very like American thing. We're like, oh, like the first generation thing. As opposed mm. to like in Europe, you guys like yeah, we live here. Like you guys are all from <laughs> here. <laughs> Sam, <laughs> how, how would you describe the differences that you you said? You, yeah, I, I see a difference. What, what 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 would you describe? I think maybe back to what Finley was talking about is um, sometimes I've had the pleasure of seeing like in Europe. There's almost I don't want to say a different level of precision, but there there can be, especially if you're like with a crew or group of people that emphasizes that. Um, like I, and I think that like, especially I think of like European festivals as being really well run, um, as like very, um, I don't want to say systematic, but like you, you see the schedules and they're posted and you know where they are. And while that's true of also of American festivals, like obviously it's the same thing, just, you know, in a different place. Uh, I feel like sometimes maybe the precision's you know a little different or like especially when we get to the larger things like even if it's kind of a common knowledge thing of like okay you know if i'm running my snakes first because we're headlining like i'm gonna be at the bottom and everybody else is gonna run on top of it you know or beside it like there's like a there's i find that's frequently like a conversation as opposed to i don't know if i've had that conversation in the states like per se in those words um but finley feel free to tell me i'm crazy no, I mean, I've not done a festival in the US. I've only done arenas. So I don't know about that kind of thing. But but yeah, I know I know what you mean. It makes sense. Yeah. One of the things that I, uh, you and I have talked a ton about and something that I try to, uh, I, hate, I don't want to use the word preach, but like instill in people or bring visibility to as, a, as an idea is um, the idea of taking ownership of your job. And particularly when it comes to, you know, system designers or you and I've talked a lot about this, but um, I I think that um, there's a lot of, I'm going to use the word coasting in in that position in particular. Um, And it seems to be often viewed as sort of a utility position where when someone comes along and really takes ownership of it and devotes himself to it and saying, okay, you know, I'm not just going to, do what we've always been doing let me let me constantly applying myself to think about how i can do this better and think about how i can improve it and just be more um just get your hands in a little bit deeper i guess um it seems Mm. that those people uh that works and they tend to find success very quickly and they tend to move up wherever they are and they tend to get more offers for gigs so i think there's there's a nice little 
maybe renaissance would be a good word of um people really taking ownership of of that type of job and uh it's something that you know it's it's been very hopeful for me to see for like the next generation of stuff but you know you're somebody that when, when i think about who's who's really out there doing that you know that's it's it's a pretty short list and uh you always come to mind you're always like trying to find the next thing or the next incremental improvement or how to make the you know the load out five seconds faster and those types of things and mm. you know was that instilled in you by somebody or like what kind of got you into that mindset because i think it's an important one um it was instilled in me by a few people yeah but toby the guy that taught me a lot instilled that in me um some of the other guys uh like liam liam halpin was another guy i learned from um joachim dewolf all these guys sort of instilled that. Um, and everyone you just work around. Mm-hmm. Like if you're working around good people all the time, like you're just pushing each other and feeding off each other to do things better. But um, I also like, I don't like doing things um, not in a really like nice way. Like I want everyone <laughs> to be like, you know, I, like I've spoken to you about a lot of these, the, this kind of stuff um but you want to you want to be likable you want to be likable yeah for sure but i i i'm really like fussy is the wrong word but I maybe like meticulous meticulous hey that's a great word Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 i think i think that's that's really what I'm what I'm talking about and it just seems you know i'm, I'm trying to remember who came on the show and said they said something like most systems engineers they run into just don't have a good grasp of what they're doing. And it's, that was probably you. No, I would never say that myself. (laughs) I think Sully said that. I think Sully said that. Um, I, I will say that, that I think all of the manufacturer specific ideas, how to use our specific tool set, how to use our specific software, how to use our specific features, which you have to know, you have to know that. But I feel like, uh, that is not a replacement for understanding the basic principles of the science and how how loudspeakers work and how they interact with each other and you know those types of things that you know basic fundamental concepts of first principles of system design you know those types of things and um, I I always caution people like if you know the science really well you can figure out whatever tool set you're presented with um, you can work your way through yeah. that but being a whiz bang with a certain piece of software does not end up teaching you the fundamentals. And I, and I think that there's a, there's, you know, part of going in and, and like you say, I want, I want to be meticulous about this and I want to strive for excellence. And I really want to, um, you know, I want to have precision in my work. You need both. You really need both. And, and by and large, when you look at manufacturer training, they're doing manufacturer training. They're, they're training on their tool sets. Um, and, it's 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 kind of interesting in that there's there seems to be a little bit of a um i won't say maybe blind spot but just uh n- very little focus on the the actual fundamentals of of that particular job and the mechanics of it um and it makes me wonder that was part of the part of the uh justification for me for wanting to to write my book was just you know what how do you how do you create a better environment for people who are trying to come up and in system design and stuff like that and, and make sure that they know both the tool set of the tool that they're using and also the, you know, the basic science. Cause if you know the basic science, you can really get a lot more mileage out of those tools, you know? Yeah. I mean, one thing I, that I found really useful when I was learning 
on the, the first proper tour I did and uh, I was out with Toby, I was asking him a million questions. Mm. We had, we had KRA on that gig, uh, KH8, like Venetian blind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and um, yeah, I, I was asking him all these questions about um, really in-depth stuff and he sort of said, no, there's there's some golden rules and there's some really basic things and it doesn't matter so much about what this PA can do, what that PA can do. These are the golden rules. This is the basics. Mm-hmm. And if you do this stuff, then you can, you'll be fine. Um, so that, that like really helped me just keeping those things in mind every yeah. time you're, you know, measuring a room or uh, designing a PA, tuning in a PA, whatever just remembering those little things. And if you get those little things right to begin with, all the really more technical stuff comes into play after that. Yeah. And I think it's <clears throat> maybe Sam can speak to this a little bit, but something that I've found consistently talking about these ideas with people is that they often are surprised by how much of that basic fundamental knowledge really dictates the behavior of these things. Like, you know, if we know how long your line is, we know the coverage shape you're going to make at 125 hertz, period. doesn't matter who made the box. You know, it doesn't matter at all. Like that's, it, that's those basic things like that um, is you can, you can really get a lot of insight into the behavior of a system. I mean, you can see a photo. I see this all the time. You see a photo um, and you're like, okay, um, that line's too short to have consistent behavior at low frequency from front to back in this room. And it's whether or not it's loud enough and whether it can create enough SPL, you know, it's not. So people go, well, those are really powerful boxes. I don't need that many. And it's like, well, it's not about that. It's just, you know, the line length is, is a really important idea. It doesn't matter who made the box line length is line length. And we know what's going to happen at a certain frequency with a certain line length. And, and it's just an example of just the basic science, which, you know, Harry Olson wrote this stuff down in, in the forties. So um, that's the kind of thing that I think people often underestimate how how much influence those basic principles have on what we're doing. And then the manufacturers are all finding ways to like build on top of that and and add, you know, kind of the the, the frosting on the top. But, you know, you can't cheat. <laughs> you can't cheat, cheat the basic mechanisms here. And people are often very, very surprised at how far you can go just by understanding those basic mechanisms. <laughs> Sam, you're laughing at me. Well, I'm laughing because we had this conversation about a year and a half ago and where I said, Hey, I called you up. I said, I want to learn this thing. And you went, and we, I don't think we talked about a specific tool set until I had like booked my first tour as effectively an SE. It was like a front of house tech SE. Like we, we just didn't, you, you said, Hey, you know, this is kind of a 3D prediction software that I'm going to recommend that you do these things in because it lets you look at frequency kind of specific data, maybe a little easier than a couple of other tools. But apart from that, you, we didn't even talk about like a specific tool set or brand of speakers for the first couple months. It was literally like, here's the physics, here's the science. And you know, we went through a lot of PowerPoints and a lot of notes and really like the same basic principles that are in your book, right? Because that's all it boils down to. And you made fun of, you still make fun of me all the time for going, um, you know, I'm waiting for it to get hard, right? Where I, I still feel like I, 
am just starting out. I still feel like I'm just still learning, but at the same time, it's it comes back to every time I'm being myopic, every time I'm th- overthinking something or I'm trying to get a system to do something that I know it won't do because I have five boxes, not 10, right? Like I know that comes down to line length when I'm looking at, you know, 100 hertz, right? I know it's not going to do that. Um, but, you know, it always comes back to those not only basic principles, but just mechanics, right? It's, I think of it as, I'm someone who I'm very, very glad that I learned the physics and mechanics first before I understood any of the tool sets. Like, I'm very, very glad that worked out that way because it made it much easier in my head for me to go, okay, here are the Legos, right? You know, we always joke, I call them Legos and Michael, I think I stole that from you. Um, Where, you know, here's, I have these pieces that do these things. And we put them where we need them to go. You know, it doesn't matter if they're supposed to be on the bottom. It doesn't matter if they're supposed to be on the top. It doesn't matter what they're designed to do. If you can safely make them do what you need them to do, then they're they're Lego bricks, right? Um, and Finley, I, I'm wondering how much of what you've learned, like, were you taught by systems engineers? Because, like, I starting out when I learned audio wasn't. Like, I was taught by a bunch of monitor engineers and front of house engineers who had kind of ended up crew chiefing and kind of inherited the system's Mm. position Uh, when i started in scotland i wasn't i was taught by some more sort of um all-around audio Mm -hmm. guys um but when i went to london and started touring then yeah i was in that pa flying role monitor type role so I was always putting up systems for people. Mm-hmm. So I would just ask them a million questions. So yeah, I started learning from pretty much only system guys and then started covering them, like doing half a tour because they could. And, um, and then you know, flying PA on, on one leg of tour and then taking over from them on another leg kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was, that, that was really important for me was, was that um, uh, learning environment so to speak um, lots of really valuable information that yeah no bit of software is ever going to tell you right and it's it's not a te- technical side of stuff i mean it's a bit technical but it's more just the basics and really simple stuff that you wouldn't think about um, and a lot of people don't like i've gone through loads of festivals and stuff in the last year and you know you see see some you, you come across a, a system and someone might be a whiz on a Raycalc or on um, Sound Vision or whatever, but then he listened to it and it's like, what was going on here? <laughs> <laughs> well, you sent me one picture and it was literally a, a, a hang that was firing directly into a tree, you know? And it's yeah, just yeah. like, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. okay, well, it's fire, like nothing. It doesn't matter what else you did right. This is not going to work. So those types of things were, I, I think it's very, very, the temptation it was pointing into a tree and also into the sky. <laughs> I may have seen this picture. There's, Wait, there's, was it? Was this? Was this the Pope gig? Was God trying to listen as well? No, that, no. Oh, oh, okay. I think there's there's because we have such powerful tools these days. You know, modern production software is incredible. Um, yeah. and and there's such a temptation to get. I, I call it ostriching. You got your head down in the in the software, whether it's prediction software or smart or your your waves, whatever it is. You're just you're in this thing, and you've lost all situational awareness, and you're not paying attention. And it's like, 
Okay, I see you in the analyzer trying to EQ a front fill, but what you don't see is that your mic stand fell over and is now on the ground under a seat. So <laughs> stop whatever else you're doing. Like, it, you know, the, there's, it, there's such a temptation to, to be tool-centric. And, mm. I, and I like tools. I, I like, to, I mean, I, I, I work on an analyzer, right? Like, I like tools. We like gear, we like gadgets. But the tool is so we can do our job. It, it's to, to help us get where we're going faster. I don't work for the tool. The tool works for me. And... Um, I think that's such a, a, a common thing where you see people just totally dialed in on something they're seeing on a screen with no, no thought to the actual reality that that's happening in front of them. That they're not paying attention to, and it's just like, yeah, okay, well, I know that the prediction looks fine, but you, okay, it's pointing into a tree or obviously yeah. this, you know, what you have in the prediction here is not what it looks like in real life. Like, take a look at it. It's not even pointing in the same direction. So it does now, whatever else you saw in the prediction is now not applicable to this situation. And so I, I just, I think my reservation is that because the focus seems to be so much on the, the manufacturer tool sets that people tend to hyper-focus on that stuff and they're not being situationally aware and they're not paying attention to the basic stuff that we're talking about. Is it pointed the right way? You know, does it, does it look, did it actually end up hanging? Like I told the prediction I was going to hang it, you know, all right, well, your, your bumper frame seven degrees off from the way you predicted it. Well, guess what happened? You know what I mean? So those types of things where you get, you get, I shouldn't be walking up, you know, someone else has been working on its PA tuning it for three hours and you walk up and like left and right aren't even hung the same way. Like <laughs> how, how did you get this far into this without no, no, that type of thing? And I'm not trying to call anybody stupid, but it's just, it's, it's when you get too close to something, you know, I'll never forget. I, I, uh, one of my roommates in college, he was working on his band's record and he's mixing it himself on his laptop. And he, you know, was just in his headphones for hours. And I kind of came back from class and he said, what do you think? And I put the headphones on. I was like, where's the snare? And he's like, what? Said, where's the snare? <laughs> and he had muted it like two hours ago to work on the reverb or something and never turn it back on. But, and it'd be, you know, because he was a great mix engineer. He just got so close to this thing that he lost all context and he lost all situational awareness and didn't notice that the snare drum was gone. And those, those, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's just a, it's sort of a muscle that you build where you get more used to looking around and taking your head out and just stepping back and going, does this make sense what I'm mm. doing right now? And, and I don't, I, I, I think a lot of these deployment issues that we run into would not be issues if more people sort of developed that habit, so to speak. Just looking at anything in, in context yeah. is, is going to help you a lot. I mean, stuff like um, you go through a festival and you listen to front fills or something or, or an arena, whatever the system you've not deployed and it doesn't sound right. And, you know, system engineer will say, Oh, well it's all measured. So yeah, but just listen to, <laughs> listen to it. It doesn't sound like one PA system. It sounds like lots of speakers dotted all over the place. So it just, I know what it says, but just listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, you roll it around and it's, it's close on the measurement, but, might not be exactly what it's saying and it sounds miles better mm-hmm. um but as you say people are you know ostrogen head in the sand it's like this says this it has to be like this um but there's no looking at the context of the whole thing um yeah i think yeah it's a really good point um 
So how much do you rely on experience now versus like how much of your job is, I don't want to say second nature because I know like you in particular are just always looking for that next thing and always paying attention to the details to see what you can improve. But how much of your job do you feel like you rely on experience or maybe how has your like perspective changed as you've gotten more experience? Um, I think a lot of it is obviously down to have done, having done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, things like flying PA, um, mm-hmm. especially flying DMB, like that is at this point is second nature. But if you put me with, I don't know, some some panther let's say then i'd need someone to give me some training or something you know um but like everyone it's what you know so um yeah a lot of like the the nuts and bolts is all second nature um but you can always try and improve bits of it um whether that's through just making a conscious effort to do it better the next time or every time um, or by doing some more training or something, then yeah. Um, sorry, that's not probably my best. <laughs> well, you, what what occurred to me when you were were saying that? I, I think it's I think it's both. I think if you watch, uh, I don't think I've ever talked about this on the show before, but I love talking about this with my friends. There's a scene in the first Iron Man movie where mm. Robert Downey Jr. uses his. They're in the they're in the cave and they're supposed to be building the missiles, but they're actually building the suit. And Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Tony Stark, uses his elbow to knock the nose cone off a missile. And then he catches mm. it. And that's a type of gesture that if you watch it, it's very clear that it's a gesture of somebody who's done it a thousand times. Like watching somebody coil a cable or set up a mic stand. And, you know, it makes sense for the character who is supposed to be grown up around his dad's weapons factory and is just super comfortable with this stuff. And, you know, the kind of the interesting thing for me was that Robert Downey Jr. probably hasn't done that a thousand times, but he's an actor. Um, but, but there's this... Um, pattern that you get into where it's just practiced movement and, and whatever that is, whether it's set, muscle memory. Yeah, muscle memory you're, whether it's flying a PA or operating a piece of software, whatever that is. Um, but I think the that's an illusion t- in some sense because I think it, it may look like this person's sort of in a mindless state about it. But at least for me, the way I get there is I am agonizing about every single step of my process often. And so the stuff that looks like it's second nature was actually arrived at by a lot of vetting and revising and tweaking and trying to do it again and try to do it again. So, you know, you, by the time you get where you've put so much thought in this thing that looks casual, I think, and it, it, I think you can kind of, it can kind of look like it was thoughtless, but at least in my case, I am, ne- I am never one to just do something and call it a day. I'm always like, trying to deconstruct it and think about how, how we can do this better and how I can change it. And there's something I want to do different next time. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's the product of many, many, many reps, but it's extraordinarily deliberate, even though it doesn't look like it. That would be my answer. Yeah. Something I always try and do is take that um, level of meticulousness and drill it down to the absolute base level. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's all well and good being meticulous about, you know, starting being meticulous when the PA is in the air or when you're writing down angles or whatever, but I try and be that meticulous in the warehouse putting it together. So, um, you know, I've had people out with me before, uh, normally in foreign countries when I'm not working with the usual suspect, um, where they've said, oh, who's going to notice that? And I said, well, I'm going to notice it. So, <laughs> like, what's your point? 
Um, like, <laughs> um, like if, if there's a certain point where you start putting in that effort, mm. then it's called give a shit. Yeah. Like why not just put it in from the start is yeah. my, is always my thing. Um, so I, I've always tried to do that. The tiny little stuff for the same level of give a shit as the big stuff. And I think that's really, really important. Yeah, it it, remi- it reminds me of so like uh, when I was in like uh, high school times, uh, I was working like general contracting like in the summer for summer job, <clears throat> and uh, there was a, a saying also when you're doing that like you know like if maybe something's not quite level or you know something's not quite right, can't see it from my house. That mm. <laughs> was like it was like a term in the construction world of like eh, it's good enough can't see it from my house. It's kind of the same thing in our world of like well who's going to know this? Like well I don't know the person who's still you know saved up for months and is at the back of this arena or room or whatever you know that that's still everything to them just because they're in that last seat doesn't mean that you know. So I think that's well, that whole argument about quote unquote cheap seats is bullshit anyway because yep. the the people who can afford a really expensive front row ticket to them it's x amount relative to how much to make but people who are sitting in the like 300 level of the arena might not have the same level of disposable income but they yep. still love the band as much if not more so that whole yep. argument of like oh it's a cheap seat it doesn't really matter if they can't hear it properly is the most bullshit argu- argument that I hear there's also all the a lot time. more of them <laughs> there's thousands of cheap seats a lot more of them. Yeah, yeah. i hate right. that argument so much <laughs> Well, and the other thing too is like the people who are often meticulous, or at least I've found that the people who are meticulous or ask for specific things, or I work for an engineer who specifies the coloring of the labels on the inside of his rack. Yeah. Um, and it's because he's got a reason for it, right? Like I've never met someone who was like, oh, I want this one specific unusual thing for the hell of it. Like it's, it's so it can be read better inside a dark rack. And I now do it on almost the inside of everything that I have to carry. Like, I know mm-hmm. I'll be the one working in cause it, it works well and I, I like it. Right. But you know, you know, who's, who's going to care? Well, the people that are asking for it obviously care enough to ask for it. Well, it's always, so it's, it's always done for a reason. I mean, when you talk about people who are extremely competent, uh, they tend not to do random things. That stuff tends to be very deliberate, but I also think, you know, as a, you know, well, do you really think someone's going to notice to me? It's not about that at all. It's, it's about, um, the level that I want to hold myself to professionally. So, you know, okay, well, the whole audience is drunk, but that doesn't mean I do a a, a worse job with it. Like if I'm going out, I have a level of professionalism that I want to hold myself to. And this is the reputation that I want to create for myself. And, you know, that, I don't just start cutting corners when I get tired or start cutting corners when I think the audience won't care. It's just like, no, it's not about everybody else. It's about how do you want to do it for yourself? Cause I know, you know what I mean? And, and you, I don't really want to, I don't really want to weigh about which corners I can cut. Just don't cut them, you know, just, just, yeah, just exactly. do, it, do it the right way. Um, Sam, why don't you, why don't you throw your question down? So Finley, what do you wish you knew when you first started? Oh, um, <laughs> I should have thought about these a bit more. <laughs> I don't think I've asked you this before, actually. So. I don't think so. Um, probably, um, oh, that it's okay to have a life outside of um, doing gigs. Mm. Oh. I think it's really important. I didn't learn that until lockdown. 
Um, um, but that's like not. That's about stuff outside of this. I don't know. No, um, no, 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 no that counts. No, that it's just that counts, general. and it's a very real thing that that people in industry, you know, uh, that deal with that. So no, that that is that's very much part of what we do because people uh, don't take and and that's that's a common theme. I've actually heard like two people in literally the last two weeks say the exact same thing of they didn't realize uh, what life outside of work was like until you know the pandemic, and so that, yeah. that did help shape or teach a lot of people that. So no, it's a uh-huh. thing. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I I love being out and love being on tour, but um, I think maybe like years, not so much the last few years, but years ago when I started out, I was like just nonstop. Um, Yeah. Probably like that or um, what's on it? The other thing that I probably didn't pick up on soon enough was like um, I'm really loyal as a person, but that's a two-way street and that's a hard one to learn as well. Mm. I think that's that's quite important to to realize. So, all right, my question: We're all coming to visit you. We're going to take the flight. Where are you taking us to eat? All right, so um, Pisano's for pizza in Glasgow. Really, probably the best pizza, probably the best pizza you'll ever eat in your life. I've never had a better pizza than it. Wow! And anywhere in the world, or uh, Mother India, which Sam's oh, already been to. That was so good. Then they <laughs> took us to Mother India. It was so good. <laughs> Uh, Glasgow has some of the best curry in the world. Uh, it's like ne- it's next level. Um, Mother India and uh, significant amounts of whiskey at the pasta. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, it's not where we went. We went somewhere else, didn't we? No, we went to be- uh, uh, Ben Nevis. The ben ne- yeah, the Ben Nevis, which is yes. also Michael- good. Just no, you many. Sorry, you kept you kept saying ostrich earlier, and all I could think of was uh, I had ostrich steak when I was in Johannesburg, and it's actually really freaking good. Ostrich is amazing; it's good stuff. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So Finley, uh, if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? Oh, um, I think just as like a good guy to be around and tour with. Um, and obviously, someone that's that did a good job of what they were doing, but um, I would never want to be remembered as someone that people just hated working with. And you know, if you saw my name on a crew list, you'd just be like, "Oh no!" Yeah, just remember as like a decent human, I guess. Yeah, that's great. Did we put up some nice? <laughs> man thanks for hanging out it's been really great i'm glad we finally got to do it it's always good to chat with you my friend yeah thanks for having me anytime